Before I begin, just going to make two quick announcements. Uh, I just came back from an overseas trip last night. I'm a little bit uh, out of sorts still, but inshallah with your Second is you can audio record, and you can do anything you want with the audio recording, but I don't want you to make any video recording, any picture of any kind, it's just my personal preference, right? Alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nukmuhu bihi wa nasta'afiruhu 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 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وكذلك جاءناكم أمة وسطة لتكونوا شهداء على الناس ويكونوا الرسول عليكم شهيدا سبحان ربك رب العزة أم لا يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد The concept of Ummah in our deen, it's not enough just our having accepted Iman to make us a member of this Ummah. Rather, Allah SWT has mentioned certain sifat and attributes of this Ummah in Quran Al-Kareem. And Nabiya Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has mentioned the relationship between believers in many of his authentic hadith. If we don't have those features in us, we're not really a member of the Ummah. You will find today also, in different groups and organizations, one is, okay, you join the company, and one is that you're part of the company. Just joining the company doesn't mean you necessarily have the company spirit or the company ethos. Just like that, one big tragedy that we have today is that although a lot of us, we call mu'mineen, alhamdulillah, but we're not really members of the Ummah. Because you don't have the attributes of being a member of the Ummah. So in the first ayah, Allah SWT has mentioned in the Quran, and thus have we made you an Ummah Wasata. Now what does Wasata mean? Now sometimes in English when they use the word moderate, that actually leads to a big misimpression. Because there's another group of people who think that moderate means that you should dilute Islam. Moderate means you should be somewhere between Abu Bakr and Abu Jahl. So no, actually in terms of deen, there's no moderation in deen in that sense. And the best way you can understand this is if you look at Akhirah, there is no moderation in Akhirah. Jannah is an extreme place and Jahannam is an extreme place. There's no moderation there. Jannah is a place of extreme happiness, extreme bliss, extreme pleasure, extreme purity. And Jahannam is a place of extreme punishment, extreme torment extreme sadness and both of these places will last forever eternal it's extreme it's extreme here what Allah <coughs> means by wasata so now we have to figure out a different word right so actually sometimes it's better to understand Arabic through other Arabic words so what Allah means here is we are ummat of iqtidal we are an ummat of equilibrium we are an ummat of balance we're not an ummat in which there is imbalance. Now what does that mean? It means our approach to dunya is balanced. We take from the dunya how much we need from it, according to our need, according to a reasonable level of comfort, but we don't make the dunya the maqsood. We don't make the dunya the purpose and objective and goal of our life. 
We have ibtida. We have ibtida. Yes, we give time to our ibadah, but we also give time to our families. We also give time to our communities. We have ibtida. There was one female sahabia. She went to Nabi Karim sallallahu And in a manner you can say she complained about her husband. What was the complaint? That he fasts all day and that he prays all night. So Nabi Karim sallallahu he called that sahabi to him. And he said to him, he said, لِنَفْسَكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقٌ وَلَأَحْلَكَ عَلَيْكَ حَقٌ That your body has rights over you. What he meant is don't fast all the time every day. And your spouse, she has rights over you. Is don't pray all night, every night. You understand what he was referring to. Alright? So this is what it means to be an ummat which is, has wasl. But then Allah subhanahu wa said a strange thing. لِتَكُونُوا شُهَدَاءَ عَلَى النَّاسِ you will be the ones who bear witness for all anas, for all of humanity. Why? Because we are the last and final religion, last and final scripture, Quran, last and final Prophet, last and final deen, last and final ummah. So before that, the anbiya were shuhada anas. After Nabi Kareem, some khatam nabiyin, this ummah is going to be shaheed, is going to be shahid is going to be a witness on the humanity. But the Prophet that the Prophet he will bear witness to us on the Day of Judgment whether we fulfill this Ummah or we fulfill this trust. So actually being Ummah is not closed. This is an Ummah for all of humanity. Part of the Ummah, yes, is that we are, have a feeling of fellowship and compassion for fellow believers. But part of the meaning of Ummah is that we are focused on all of Nas. Now in the two, just for those few people who were there, in the two last Bayan lecture we gave in London, the first was how to be a Mu'min in Khalwa, how to be a true believer when you're alone. Second was how to be a good true Mu'min in Suhba, how to be a true believer when engaged and interacting with others. And tonight is how to be a true mu'min in the ummah. Then Allah sponsor another ayah of Quran. That you are the very best ummah that was brought forth for the benefit of people, for all of humanity. What do you do? You enjoin towards that which is virtuous and pure, which is known to be virtuous and pure. And you refrain and you call away from that which is no, decreed by Allah subhanahu wa to be vice, to be evil, mudkar, which is repudiated and rejected by Allah subhanahu wa So now this is another role of being in this ummah. So the first aspect was ihtidal, the second aspect is ihtiyat. Ihtiyat. That we stay away from those things that Allah Subhanahu prohibits, and we fulfill those things that Allah Subhanahu has enjoined, and we do that linas. We try to bring all the humanity, because that was the work of a Nabi. When Allah Subhanahu sent a prophet, the role of that prophet was to guide all of humanity away. The reason I mention this, and I've been sharing with some of our friends, we travel a lot, and especially these days, we go back and forth between Muslim countries like Pakistan and England. And whenever I come to England and spend some time here, I'm always amazed 
how little capacity we have to do dawah on the non-Muslim. There are so many non-Muslims who you have as your colleagues, or your neighbors, or your bosses, or your students, or your friends, and there are so few of them who we have been able to bring to Islam. If we think about it, by the time we die, and we wait on the Day of Judgment, in a book of deeds, how many hundreds or probably thousands of non-Muslims we would have interacted with in our life, and how maybe just one or two or few, or in some cases zero, we were able to bring to the Deen of Islam. It's a very strange thing. Sahabah had a fikr. It's a different type of da'wah. Normally today when we use the word da'wah, it's just Muslims helping other Muslims. That's also important because many Muslims have gone far and straight from the deen. But the original meaning of da'wah was to take a person who is not even have imam and to engage with them and interact with them in such a way that they accept imam because of you. All of Tabin accepted Imam because of Sahaba. All of the Tabai Tabin accepted Imam because of Tabin. They met a person who impressed them, who motivated them, who transformed them, who changed their life. Now we meet non-Muslims all the time, on a daily basis. We don't have the civility. We don't even have the niyyah. We're not even trying. And why most people say they're too scared? Or they're too embarrassed? Or they find it too awkward? So, okay, fine, maybe if you meet a non-Muslim for the very first time, you can't talk about Imam. But what about this person X who you've known for one year, or five years, or ten years? You've never, ever, ever been able to introduce Allah SWT to them. What if they show up on the Day of Judgment and they grab you and they say, like, this person used to meet me for ten years, and he never even told me about this day. He never even mentioned once to me that this day was going to happen. How am I supposed to prepare for it when I don't even know about it? And the person who knows about it is my worker, colleague, friend for 10 years, never even told me about it. Hmm? What answer will I give to Allah SWT? Yes, this could be an answer. Allah SWT is very awkward, but I told him anyway, and he didn't accept, and it made our relationship at work slightly awkward for a few weeks after that. But at least I told him. At least I did my duty. At least I delivered the message. At least I shared. At least I cared. Hmm? So you shouldn't feel so much this awkwardness or embarrassment. You have Iman. It's the greatest bounty in the world. How could you not share it with someone? Hmm? And you'll be amazed when you let go of this awkwardness or embarrassment or shame or fear, whatever you want to call it. You will see Barakah. Allah SWT put the Barakah in Dawah. Allah SWT puts barakah and da'wah when you have the true intention of ikhlas when you want to make that da'wah. <coughs> so, the reality is, is that we don't appreciate and value our own iman. If you valued your own iman, you would want to share it with others. And that's because the majority of us have been born in a household of iman. If we got iman for free, it wasn't really actively shared with us we didn't actively accept it. So because we take our own Iman for granted, we take the lack of Iman or the kufr, the absence of Iman in the other person also for granted. We don't feel this difference. We're not sensitive to this. <coughs> so, what is Iman? <coughs> 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 
core is Tawheed and Ubudiyya. That your whole focus of life is on one Allah SWT. Once there was a shaykh and he asked some people, what is Tawheed? So they said to believe that Allah Ta'ala is one. He said, okay, that's the beginning of Tawheed. What does it mean to live a life on Tawheed? He didn't understand that. He said, well, just know this, that Tawheed means to believe Allah is one. He said, no, Tawheed means that you believe Allah SWT is one and you live your entire life for the only the sake of that one. That you live your life for the sake of that one. Hmm? And that's called Ubudiyya. Amdiyat in Persian Urdu. Slave. To be the slave of Allah SWT. Allah SWT himself has many names. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Ghafur, Al-Ghafar. There's one particular name, Al-Malik, Master, that goes with slave. Right? But the reality is that Allah SWT's attributes and the way He engages us may change. We don't change. We are one thing. We have one name. We are Abd. When Allah Ta'ala engages us to His attribute of being Malik, we are Abd. When He's Rahman, we are still Abd. When He's Ghafar, He forgives us, we are still Abd. When He's Wakil, He takes care of us, we are still Abd. We are always Abd, irrespective of what aspect Allah SWT engages us with. This is our one identity. So we are Abdul Rahman, Abdul Rahim, Abdul Ghafur, Abdul Ghafar, Abdul Malik, Abdullah. Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he came at Fatah Makkah, he made dua to Allah SWT, Alhamdulillah, Wahda, Nasara Abda. He didn't say Nasara Rasulah. Alhamdulillah, Wahda, Tawheed, Nasara Abda, Ubudiyah. Hmm? Why? I'm not entering as conqueror. I'm not entering as leader. I'm not entering as anything other than as the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ashad wanna Muhammad Abduhu wa Rasulullah. We some preferred one. We say the shahud in salah. First, first we should attest that he is Abduhu. Second we should attest with Rasulullah. Ashad wanna Muhammad Abduhu wa Rasulullah. First and foremost, Abd. So me and you, we forget that. Even the Prophet Allah gifted him this identity of being a Prophet. He put being an Abd first. Me and you have to do the same thing. Abd first, British second. Abd first, man second. Abd first, doctor, engineer, computer, worker second. Abd first, everything else second. If we have that understanding, then we have proper Tawheed. And if we say, no, I'm Muslim, but I'm also this, and I'm also that, and sometimes I give that priority, I give that precedence, then you don't have true Tawheed. Obviously, you believe Allah is only one. In that sense, Alhamdulillah, you have Tawheed. You don't have shirk like that. You believe in partners. But you're not truly slave to that one. Not truly slave to that one. So when a person has true Tawheed and true Ubudiyah, then they end up on Yaqeen and Tawakkur. And they live a life of yaqeen and tawakkul. And that was the real sifat required for da'wah. And you will see all of the anbiya that Allah SWT mentions about them in Quran al-Kareem. Alayhim as-salam al-jama'in. First Allah SWT brings them to a yaqeen and brings them to pure tawakkul on him. And then they make da'wah on the people. And without yaqeen and without tawakkul, you cannot make da'wah of deen. You cannot make khidmat of deen. You cannot invite other people to the deen of Allah SWT. <coughs> now when a person has iman then has this type of iman yakin and tawakkul type of iman 
then no matter what happens around them, whatever difficult circumstances may happen, it doesn't make them decrease in their iman. So they give you an example from Quran. There was a case, uh, there was a battle actually, uh, which we call Hazrat al-Hazab, with a lot of different factions of disbelievers joined together in a coalition, hmm? to use today's terminology, in a coalition to attack the Mu'mini. So Allah SWT mentions this incident in Quran opening. Alladina kallahum al-Nas Inna al-Nasa ka jama'u lakum Fakshokum Fazaduhum imana So what happened was that the people around the Dinamana were astorik that look all of these different forces that gathered against you you should fear them. You should have fear. But actually what effect did it have on these sahabakram that had a different effect Fazaduhum imana acted only increased them in the iman they said, no, Allah SWT is sufficient for us. He is the best guardian. Yaqeen and tawakkul. That's what I told you. When you have true tawheed and true ubudiyah, you truly live your life for when Allah SWT you are a slave, then you get yaqeen and tawakkul. You have absolutely certainty, certain faith and conviction in Him, and absolute pure reliance on Him. Ask what happens. If ever anything we sense, there's some opposition. Maybe opposition comes from our own nafs trying to lead us astray. Maybe opposition comes from some increasing trying to make us astray. Maybe opposition comes from some enemies of the deen of Islam. Do we have the same yakin and tawakkul? Most people, they become, they suffer from anxiety, they <coughs> fall into depression, they fall into inaction, they fall into laziness, they fall into apathy. They say, I don't know, I'm so worried, I just I can't do anything. I know I shouldn't even make dua. I don't feel like making dua. The wrong reaction, wrong response. It's because they're lacking in yakin and tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we don't have fear of anything. We only fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't fear them, only fear me. Don't fear them, only fear me. Don't fear poverty, only fear me. Don't fear enemies, only fear me. Don't fear anything, only fear Allah. This is the message that Allah SWT gives in Qur'an Al-Kareem. Now, definitely a person goes through different ahwal, halat, different difficulties in their life. Sometimes you will find, even people on deen, <coughs> even in people of deen, ulama go through difficulties. Institutions of Islamic learning go through difficulties. Efforts of Dawah go through difficulties. People doing relief work, humanitarian work, trying to help the distressed and the needy, they go through difficulties. Individuals go through difficulties, financial difficulties, personal difficulties, emotional difficulties, marital difficulties. Allah SWT will test a person. This world is a place of testing. Allah SWT will test to see who is the most virtuous and the most beautiful in their behavior. Yet there is a world where there is no test. That's called Akhir. This is the world of test and the world of effort. Akhir, there is no test and there is no effort. There is no sa'i, no mehnat, there is no mashakka, no hardship, no endurance that you have to bear over there. So how, about, how would Allah SWT explain this in Qur'an? 
That all you have Imam, you must seek help in Allah SWT through sabr, endurance. You must persevere on your good deed. You must not fall into bad deeds. And you must patiently bear whatever hardship and difficulty Allah SWT sends your way. And you must turn to Allah SWT in prayer. In Allah Ma'asabirin, you will find that Allah SWT will be with such people. But many times people aren't able to do this. And Allah SWT explains why in a different ayah. But doing that is very difficult. It's weighty, it's heavy. Except on the people who have khushu. Which is, it means who have humility and who fear Allah SWT. So what happens? Many times a person has the opposite of this khushu which is called ujub. They have some arrogance, they have some pride. They valued themselves as something. So when they valued themselves as something, and Allah SWT sends a shock and difficulties to them, they find it very difficult. They find it extremely weighty and enormously difficult to seek Allah Ta'ala's help in sabr and salah. Therefore they end up in panic or they end up in depression. So it means then one core attribute is to develop this humility in us. Is to develop this humility in us. So the humble are able to survive the tests and difficulties Allah SWT sends their way. And those who don't have humility, they will panic. So trying to acquire humility in our deen, that goes back to that first lesson of Ubudiyah, Abdiyah, to become the slave of Allah SWT. If these are things that a person can't learn in difficulty, they have to have learned it before the difficulty came. They have to have been prepared before the difficulty came. And the next attribute is taqwa. If a person doesn't have taqwa, then sometimes the difficulties will keep coming because of their sins. If you don't leave the sins, Allah SWT won't ever fix our condition. This is what Allah SWT says in the Quran. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُغَيِّرُ مَا بِقَوْمٍ Allah will never change for the better the condition of a people. And Qom can include us as an ummah. Qom can include a group of people. Qom can include a family. Qom can include husband and wife. Qom can be in a group of friends. Allah won't change for the better their condition unless they change their own selves and adopt taqwa. So now let's recap the few words that we mentioned up till now. So what does a person need? They need Imam, Taqwa, Shu, and then that will enable them to have Sabr and Salah, and that will make them this Ummatun Wasata. It's these features that make that person have balance and equilibrium. So let's say a person was able to do this, what is the sign that is a person is an Ummah, is a true member of Ummah? So listen to Asahi Hadith of Nabi Akrim Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam narrated by Sayyidina Abu Hurairah Rizillahu Ta'ala Anhu Qal Qal Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Al-Muslimu Akhul Muslim The believer, Muslim, is a brother, fellow to his fellow believer La Yadlimuhu He will never oppress him, never do anything unjust to him Wa La Yakhduluhu And he will never abandon him 
And he will never belittle him or view him to be less than him. Then the Prophet said, At-taqwa ha-huna. At-taqwa ha-huna wa yashiru ila sadrihi And then the Prophet pointed to his breast three times. What does it mean? Taqwa is something internal. Taqwa is something in the heart. Taqwa is something in the bottom. And if a person has taqwa in their bottom, then they will never oppress a fellow believer. They will never abandon or betray a fellow believer. And they will never ever belittle the fellow believer. So the first meaning is don't ever be a zalim. This is a word. The person who does zalim is called zalim. Husband should not be zalim on wife. Wife should not be zalim on husband. Parents should not be zalim on children. Children should not be zalim on parents. Etc., etc. Don't wrong anyone. Don't oppress anyone. Don't be unjust to anyone. This is the first thing. First thing the Bhikkhu Sallallahu said. There should be no zul. There should be no zul. Second, one way you can translate the second part, is that if, okay, you're not doing zulman, the believer. Step one. Step two, if somebody else is doing zulm on them, don't abandon them to become mazlum. Don't let them remain mazlum. Don't be zalim yourself and don't let them be mazlum. That somebody doing zulm on the believer and you know about it, or maybe even you're watching it with your own eyes and you do nothing about it? No. It's necessary, ummah. It's necessary to rescue the fellow believers from the zulm that others are doing on them. Step one, don't yourself do zulm. Step two, don't let them remain mazlum. And the third thing, <coughs> is don't view them as ordinary, unworthy. You know, like perfect example, just to give you an example of things that happen in the world. So there's a group of Muslims in Burma, all of you or almost all of you would know about them, the Rohingya, right? Now why don't people care about them so much? Because the third thing, they're extremely poor, they are from a, not some sacred ethnic group like Palestinians or some other place because Beit al-Muqaddas is a sacred, Beit al-Muqaddas is a sacred place, it's one of the third Haramim, third Haram, right? They are not, not even heard of, most people didn't even know they existed. Many people didn't even know there were Muslims in Burma. Hmm? Burma, Thailand, even Laos, Cambodia has Muslims, right? So what happened? So they're abandoned. Hmm? They have no one. They have no spokesman, no rescuer, no helper in the Ummah. Illa mashallah. Illa mashallah. Right? This is the type of tahkir that we view them as basically below our notice. Beneath our time. Hmm? So that means this is not Ummah. This is not Ummah. Now why does this happen? This happens when a person either has some worldly blessing, he's not always given him money, wealth, property, held him in an advanced, comfortable society. Then a person sometimes starts neglecting the other members of the Ummah who don't have that same status. Or it can happen to a second reason, which is even worse. Not due to a worldly blessing, due to a dini blessing. The person is alim, he's sheikh. Hmm? He has some dini ni'mah. He has been blessed with some knowledge of deen, practice of deen, khidmat of deen. Hmm? And he 
abandon, can fall in the sin of abandoning or belittling or viewing as hakir and fakir other members of this ummah. So Nabi Kareem Sassam joined all of this with taqwa. And this hadith taqwa, there is not mention of leaving sin. Not mentioned. The only thing mentioned in the hadith was how we are with others. Don't do zulm on others. Don't let them remain Muslim. And don't view them as beneath you. Taqwa hafuna. Three times Nabi Kareem pointed. Because he said three things. All of the, each of these three things are taqwa and they will come from inside the heart of a person. Inside the heart of a person. And all of you know Allah Subhanahu wa made it clear in the Quran. Inna akramakum indallahi atqaqum. The most honored and dear and respected and valued of you and Allah Subhanahu wa regard is the one who has the most taqwa. Most taqwa. In awliya'ahu illa al-muttaqum. Who are the awliya? The awliya are simply none other than the people of taqwa. Why? Because I say this, sometimes it becomes a fashion for a person. He wants to become wali of Allah Sponta. But he thinks being wali of Allah Sponta is something other than taqwa. So he thinks maybe wali of Allah Sponta is to wear a particular type of clothing or becoming wali of Allah Sponta is to make a particular single type of zikr or to become wali of Allah listen to so many nasheeds. Hmm? To become a wali of Allah in awliya'uhu illa al-muttakoon is simply to have taqwa. First meaning of taqwa, all of us are to stay away from sin. And second meaning of taqwa you take from that hadith, to be true, caring, compassionate member of ummah. And if you look in history, those people who are ulama have certified it who are awliya, they used to love the poor. They used to sit with the poor. They used to serve the needy. Hmm? This was one of their characters. Yes, they also did a lot of zikr of Allah No doubt. A lot of zikr, a lot of ibadat of Allah Yes. Yes, they also stayed away from sin, obviously. But this was also an attribute of theirs. Hmm? Deep care and compassion. They were the leaders of ummah. They had feelings for ummah. Like in our area where... I am descended from, and from looking at you, some of you are descended from what we call the Indian subcontinent, which means India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, what they call Barisagir and Urdu. So how did Islam come there? There was one Wali of Allah Sponsor, Khwaja Muhyiddin Chishtiri Mulantala. What happened? He sat with the poor, the poorest of the poor, who in the Hindu religion were called the untouchable. Hmm? The poorest of the poor who were the most neglected and the most downtrodden and the lowest caste in the Hindu religion. And there were masses of them. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. And he was a sheikh. <laughs> but he went and he sat with them. And he served them. And he showed them love and compassion. And he converted them to Islam. Hmm? How much so? So you should know your geography. Half of the ummah is in India, Pakistan and Bangladesh. Half. There are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world. 600 million of them are Indians, Pakistanis, and Bangladeshis. How did half of the Ummah become Muslim? Because these awliyaullah sat and spent time with the poor and needy and oppressed. That's why they did Dawah. Those of us especially who owe our Iman due to that, at least we should, everybody should, but maybe we should have a special feeling that we should do that. Hmm? Because we are imam to such people. Hmm? 
we should continue that tradition. But we don't do that. In fact, it's a joke amongst many Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi communities hmm, that any time they get a little bit more money, they like to upgrade neighborhood. They run, they run from the poor. They don't like to spend time with the poor. They don't give back to their community. If there's a young man who Allah Ta'ala blessed, then maybe it's the first person to go to university from his family or from his household or from his neighborhood. Now what should he do? He should not come back. And he should guide the youth of his community. He should guide the youth of his people. No, no, no. Now he likes to hang out with all the other elite university crowd and just be with them and live with them and move in their neighborhood and forget his own community and forget his own origins. Hmm? Not Ummah. He's Mu'min, but he's not Ummah. This is the point I'm trying to make tonight. We think by being Mu'min, default means we're Ummah. No, no. Being member of Ummah has some criteria for this membership. There's some roles that a person plays as a member of Ummah. There's some attributes that a person has. There's some khidmah, there's some dawah, there's some compassion, there's some love. Hmm? And that's our problem. 1.2 or 1.5 billion mu'mineen, but how many of them are ummah? Hmm? How many of them are ummah? If they were all ummah, Allah Akbar Kabira, you know, you can understand, you can imagine what that would be like. Hmm? But so few of them are ummah. So few of them are ummah. So here, Allah SWT, uh, I was giving you rap earlier between ibadah, sabr and salah, and here now with taqwa. Now listen to Hadith Qudsi, there in the Sahih Imam Muslim, Hadith Qudsi means that the Prophet said that Allah SWT said, Allah SWT said what? Ya ibadi, inni haramtu zulma ala nafsi, that all my creatures, my servants, my slaves, I have made haram, any prohibited, Zulm on myself. You know, Allah Ta'ala will never oppress anyone. Allah Ta'ala will never be unjust anyone. You may, who read Quran, know many times Allah Ta'ala uses this expression in Quran. On that day, no Zulm will be done on them, nor Zulm will be done. done. Right? No Zulm will be done. وَجَعَلْتُهُ بَيْنَكُمْ مَحْرَمًا And Allah Ta'ala said, I have made Zulm haram between you. فَلَا تَظَالِمُوا Do not do Zulm to one another. Do not do any oppression, injustice to one another. Now this is the way Nabi Kareem built a society. In one sentence it captured everything. Zulm-free society. You don't take the haq of anyone. You don't infringe upon anyone. You don't hurt or harm anyone. Simple. One sentence you can understand. That's the purity of the peaceful society. That you are on haq and you don't do any zulm. You support the truth and you help the needy. You help the oppressed. You serve the needy. You serve the oppressed. So once Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was sitting with some sahaba and he took like the way the muhaddithin, they teach this hadith, he took a test. Test of sahaba kram. Because there were two teachings, you must be on haq and you must not do zul. So the Prophet said to sahaba kram that you must help your brother whether he is correct or even if he is wrong. Now, Sahabakram, they didn't understand the second part. Help your brother, whether he is correct or even if he is wrong. So, Sahabakram asked, Ya Rasulullah, this is different from what you taught us. Help him if he is correct, we understand he's on haq. What does it mean that we should help him even if he is on wrong? 
And it comes in hadith that Nabiya was happy that the Sahaba asked him this question. Probably like we can imagine any Muslim, any teacher likes that the student should be thinking and the student should be doing amal on the earlier teaching. So because so he was happy that yes, I now ingrained in them that they must always be on haq and they should never help zul. So it's good that they're asking questions. So then he explained that the way you will help your brother when they are in the wrong is you must take them away from being a zalim. So a third aspect was introduced. First aspect, remember, don't yourself do zulm. Second aspect, do rad of the mazlumiyah of the mazlum. Try to roll back hmm, the zulm being done on the mazlum. Third, try to roll back the zulm in the zalim. Try to roll back to the highest level, the most difficult aspect of creating fear. First, easiest to don't do zulm yourself. Second, okay, another person is Muslim, at least let me help them out of their Muslimiyah. And now third, somebody is zalim, he's doing zulm. I have to do rad, I have to refute and roll back the zulm in him. I have to help him also. And that is that I'm against him, I'm angry with him. He needs my help. He needs to be taken out of this. Allah Akbar. Nabi Karim had a very different way of thinking. We do what we like to do. We mostly we just cover up and brush things under the carpet. We try to hide and suppress these things. Prophet said, no, you must go to that person. And you must help them. And you must help take that zulm or evil away from them. Hmm? And to make you understand how important this is. So another hadith that was narrated in the Sayyasitta in the collection of Imam Ibn Madhur the Prophet once he was and he said this he was carrying a Kaaba and he addressed the Kaaba and he said Walladhi nafsu Muhammadin bi yadi that I swear by that being in whose grasp is the very life of Nabi Akrim sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La hurmatu mu'min that the sanctity and respect and honor of a believer a'zamu in the life from mu'min is even greater than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than your hurma, your sanctity, O Kaaba. Allahu Akbar. Now what does that mean? Now imagine, if I told you somebody was attacking Kaaba, she would go in a rage. If I told you somebody even attacked just one brick of the Kaaba, somebody is even just took a hammer once and with one blow even made one dent in one brick of Kaaba, what would you do? You would drop everything that you're doing. You'd say, I forget everything. You'd say, I will give my life even to save one brick of Kaaba from one dent. Hmm? Because that's her jazbah. Because that's her passion. That's her emotion. Right? For the Kaaba. Now look at the hadith of Nabi Akrim hmm? One believer. What does it mean? One scratch, like dent, one scratch on one believer should be even more offensive to us than one dent on one brick of God. Because the sanctity of Ummah is even greater than the sanctity of Kaaba. What is Kaaba? Kaaba is Baytullah. Allah hmm? That's the big nisbat. Hmm? Baytullah. But Ummah is Abdullah. Higher nisbat. That's what means higher mm, connection, greater identity. But we don't have that. <laughs> we get scratched, we're slaughtered, it's happening, slaughtered. 
Hmm? Not scatter, then slaughter, mass murder. I was telling some people, really, when I, I, I keep repeating this. Burma has to be like the lowest we can go. What is Burma? Hmm? Burma is a backward third world country. Hmm? Even the Burmese army can just slaughter Muslims at freedom. It's not some superpower. Right? People say, oh, well, what can we do? Uh, the X country is a superpower. We are powerless. Hmm? What is Burma? You tell me. Completely third world country, poor than most Muslim countries. Way, well, we look at it on the UN World Bank statistics, whoa, very low, very low. This is how low we've become. Hmm? Oh, because we're not Ummah. We're Mu'mineen and Alhamdulillah, preserve our Imam, this big blessing of But we're not Ummah. Hmm? This is how we should imagine. Person was doing zulmat kaba. How would I react? So how should you react to a person is doing zulmat kaba? This is another sahidi, and this is one that many people would all would have heard of, because that's something we often teach our children as well. That on the day of judgment, Allah Taala asked the believer, ask Muhammad, Ya Bani Adam, I was sick. <laughs> ya Allah, I was sick, and you did not visit me. Person will say, Ya Allah, how can you fall sick? How can you fall sick? You are free from all such things. You're pure and free. Subhanallah. Above and the thing. So Allah Ta'ala will respond, No, no. There was a slave of mine, creature of mine, who was sick. But you didn't visit him. Had you visited him, you would have found me there. Allah Had you visited him, you would have found me there. It's just sick. That's not even Muslim. That's what I'm trying to show you. Imagine if this is about sick. Then imagine what would it be about Muslim. Hmm? Sickness is a natural thing. Allah Ta'ala sends sickness and health on people in alternating states. Right? Hmm? But look how strongly Allah Ta'ala. I was sick. The way that that's the tabir, that's the expression Allah Ta'ala will use to make us realize. Hmm? And Actually, Nabi Kareem was trying to make us realize this in this life. It's not something we're supposed to wait for the day of judgment to make us realize this. Hmm? And next, I was hungry. I was hungry, but you didn't feed me. Ya Allah, how can you be hungry? They said, there was such and such a slave of mine was hungry. It was as if, means as if I was hungry. Still hunger is still less than Muslim. Okay, more than sick, but still less than Zul. Hmm? Still less than Zul. Then thirsty, etc. Hmm? It shows you from this hadith how much compassion, how much feeling Allah Father wants us to have. Hmm? We are people we found to israq. Kulu washabu walatusrifu. Eat, drink, but don't waste. Hmm? How much we waste is amazing. Even when we go on Umrah, we see people there, even they waste. In Mashallah, they fast, and people fast on Mondays and Thursdays, and in especially Masjid Nabi in particular, if any of you have been blessed to go, may Allah take us over and over again to these sacred places. 
and make it a means of our guidance and our hidah and our makbila. But even sometimes there they roll up the zetakhan and they just roll up perfectly fine pieces of bread and dates. Hmm? Amazing. And they are still, don't think, they are Muslim, they are hunger. There is still famine in certain parts of the Muslim world. It exists. There is extreme poverty in certain parts of the Muslim world. It hasn't gone away. It hasn't gone away. The last hadith I will mention to you for tonight, the Nabi Akareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned, a bit to show how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to the Prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, also in Sahih Muslim, that whoever creates ease for their fellow believer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create ease for them. This is such a big reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you become a means of ease for others, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put ease for you. If you fulfill the need of someone, or you remove a difficulty of someone, Allah Ta'ala will remove a difficulty from you. You fulfill a need of your fellow believer. Allah Ta'ala will fulfill a had a need of yours. And then the Prophet of the ended, Wallahu fi awn al-abdi ma kana al-abdu fi awn al-akhi. Allah Ta'ala will remain in the awn. Allah Ta'ala awn nusrat madad. Allah Ta'ala will keep on helping the believer as long as that believer keeps helping Akhi, his brother means his fellow believer. As long as he keeps helping his fellow believer, as long as he keeps helping Ummah, Allah Subhanahu will keep helping him. Hmm? It means also then, as long as he doesn't help his fellow believer, while he continues to remain neglectful and negligent of his Ummah, then he is in danger that Allah Ta'ala will neglect him. Hmm? Not give him ease. Keep him in difficulty, not fulfill his needs. So this was our topic for you, short topic for you tonight. For those who are new, this wasn't short, but our old friends. For me, this is short. huh? Uh, but sometimes you have to look at the simple things. Normally, we give beyond and love for Allah Taala, making zikr of Allah Taala, fear of Allah Taala, focusing on salah, what people like to call spiritual topics. But sometimes it's important to look at some simple things. And sometimes it's important to remember that when we want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's not just about our own ibadah and our own zikr and our own taqwa. A lot of it is about ummah. A lot of it is about ummah. Now, where to begin? Hmm? This is the last thing I will tell you tonight. Just a few starters. Because when we hear something in deen, some nasiha, it's important that we're giving some beginning. Because you have to begin at the beginning. So you begin at those people of the Ummah who are closest to you. That means spouse, that means parent, that means child, that means sibling, that means neighbor, that means fellow muqtadi, fellow musalli, imam. Whoever you interact with most, begin with them. And you'd be amazed. We're failing right there. The number one person we're failing is our own spouse. She's also Ummah. She's also Ummah. There's another way to look at her. She's Zawja. She's also Ummah. <laughs> yeah? And actually she's the closest person to you in the Ummah. Is your wife. The closest person in Ummah. 
لباس
Let us be better husbands. Let us be as good a husband as Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Let him protect us from every attraction to Ghair Mahram. Protect us from every infatuation with Ghair Mahram. Take us out from every romance. Take us out from every affair. Let him let us never cast our glance elsewhere. Let him let us be happy with our spouses, content with our spouses. Let him those young men who are yet to be married. Let him decree for them a lawful, pious spouse, Ya Rabb, who will become their partner in deen. Ya Rabb, those who have such children who are marriageable age, daughters and sons, make it easy for the parents, Ya Rabb, to find suitable spouses for the children. Let him settle our children in houses of deen, homes of deen, make them always firm on Sirat al Mustaqim. Let him make dua for all of our children and the children of all of the Ummah and all of our descendants and progenies of Yom Deen. Make them Qaim on Iman. Firm in Iman, let them have Yaqeen in Iman, save them every fitna, the fitna of atheism, the fitna of moderation, the fitna of Dajjal, any and every fitna that will come, let him be kareem, protect our Ahl and Ayal, protect our Nasl and Nasl, Ya Rabbi Kareem, let us ask that you make us better children to our parents, Ya Rabbi, let us honor our parents more, serve our parents more, care for our parents more, love for our parents more, Rabbi Hamhama Kama Rabbi Yani Sahira, Send your special rahmah, your mercy on them as they took care of us when we were young. They nurtured us, Ya Rabb. Those of us who our parents have passed away, send your makhfara, Ya Rabb. Send your rahmah on their graves. Send your rahmah on their hearts. Raise their darajat. Grant them admission to Jinnah for those to have been You have to make us better siblings to one another, better friends to one another, better fellows to one another. Grant us the sifat of the Ummah, Ya Rabb. Make us an Ummah of balance and equilibrium again. Make us an Ummah that calls to that which is good and helps people away from that which is bad once again. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept all the du'as and all the hearts. And we make special du'a, Ya Rabb, tonight for all the Muslimin in the Ummah, wherever they are. You know best where they are. They're in so many places, in so many countries, from so many ethnicities, from Sham to Burma, and so many places in between. Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your special mercy on them. Show them hope where they may see none. Be a light for them when they are in darkness. Send help to them again. Raise from this Ummah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, once again. Khuddam of Deen. Khuddam of Deen, Ya Rabbi Kareem, who will make khidmat of the Muslimin and will do rad of the zulm of the Zalimin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. ربنا تكمل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين برحمتك يا رحمة الله السميع